Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 51, and today we're interviewing our first craftsman who is not a woodworker. Alex Steele found his passion early in life, and he's been blacksmithing since the age of 11. We talked to Alec about starting his business at 16 years old and the journey that led him to be one of the fastest rising YouTube makers and how he's leveraging and expanding his business through merchandise sales, courses, and other areas. Alec has grown his YouTube channel to over 950,000 subscribers in less than two years and become one of the most recognizable makers in our growing community. He was featured on History Channel's Forged and Fire TV show, and his contagious personality has inspired a wave of makers to begin blacksmithing. It is an awesome interview, guys, so stay tuned for that. Before we get into it, we do want to thank a new patron over there who joined the MFP patron tribe. Southern Style DIY, thank you so much. Uh, If you guys want to support the show and get some cool rewards like the after show, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit and check that out. But without further ado, here's our interview with Alex Steele. All right, guys, well, we are here with an exciting new guest who is a little bit outside the woodworking space, Alex Steele. Alex, Welcome to Made for Profit, my man. Hey, hey guys, how you doing? Great to be here. I'm very excited. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're our first uh, international guest, actually, too. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I could put on a terrible American accent if you'd prefer. But, uh, <laughs> please I'm don't. Pleased to be yeah. representing uh, representing your cousins across the pond. Yes, yeah. We we have the UK represented in MFP now, so we have gone international. It's fantastic. So, uh, like you said in, in the intro, uh, Alec is a blacksmith and a uh, a young one. Alec, how old are you now? I'm uh, 20 years old right now. Oh, this is fantastic. So we've got 20, John's 30, and I'm 40. So 20, 30, and 40, we've, <laughs> well, got, we the, go. Sounds we've good. got the decades We've got the decades covered. Uh, but yeah, it, we we have been huge fans of what you're doing and just seeing uh, your, your growth on YouTube as well as just your passion, your business. So uh, what we'd like to do on the show is just kind of give a, a brief overview. So tell the folks you know, what your channel is about and kind of how you got started. And, you know, just give us a brief five minute overview of of how you got started in the blacksmithing. So I'm, I'm going to start way back at the beginning of when I actually Do first it. started blacksmithing. So age 11, I'm at a county fair and I see some blacksmiths tinkering away. You know, it's a rainy day, you know, in, in July, it's England. And they're, they're tinkering <laughs> away. And little 11 year old me, I stood there for 30 minutes straight looking at what these guys are doing, completely mesmerized, having just discovered that apparently you can hit hot pieces of steel and make cool things. Uh, the guy very kindly gave me the little leaf, um, and then I was determined that I wanted to be able to make a leaf like that. Uh, so in a few days later, I set up a little forge in the back garden, which was very, it was literally just a pile of bricks and a pump to blow up an inflatable boat and a piece of stainless steel tube, which is probably from some sort of like bathroom handrail or something like that, <laughs> blowing air into a pile of bricks where there was some lumpwood charcoal. That blacksmith went back to the blacksmith. He let me borrow a chunk of railroad track 
So I had a chunk of railroad track sat, sat on a piece of cinder block. And there I am, 11-year-old me, t- hammering away on tent pegs, you know, and starting to make things. I ended up burning myself in the first couple of days of trying that and, you know, failing a whole lot of trying to make a leaf. But I got very, very excited. It, it started a hobby um, that continued until I was 16 years old, where I was still in school. And in all of my, all of the moments where I was in school, I was thinking about being at the workshop making stuff, where, you know, where I would be on a Sunday, I'd be in the workshop making stuff. In the evenings, I was researching on forums about blacksmithing, researching, researching, reading books, basically trying to soak up as much information as I could. Through that time in the summer holidays and what have you, I was able to get some really good mentors. So a great mentor of mine who taught me how to make tools was Brian Brazil. I learned how to make Damascus steel from David Lish. In fact, that was actually after I left school. And so I was able to soak up information, practice, practice, practice. I was so in, so deep into the craft of blacksmithing and my love for it was, was so intense that I decided that I was going to leave school and start a business uh, making things for people. Now, the trouble with that and, uh, and, and what it didn't take me too long to realize is that it's, it's kind of silly to, it's kind of silly to just think about it as I want to make, you know, I want to make cool stuff and do this passion of mine. I wasn't thinking about the business side of things. I wasn't thinking about actually, well, hang on a second. How much money is it that I need to make? You know, do I, wait, I need to focus about running a business. I need to think about, you know, what my, what my, what my P and L is going to be like. I need to have a business plan. Why would I have a business plan? That sounds ridiculous. I don't even know what I was doing. And that was the reality of it is though I very much enjoyed the hobby and had a great passion for it. And I was skilled at certain things, the product that it was that I started to offer which is making gates and handrails and stuff like that. I didn't know what on earth I was doing. So people were commissioning me to make a, you know, make a railing for them or a handrail for them. I didn't know how to make the thing. So I didn't know how to price my time. So I wasn't making any money. And so business was very, very, very tough and tight there in the beginning days, about kind of uh, four years or so ago. It was, uh, it was exciting. And I learned a lot, and reality very quickly slapped me in the face and told me, well, actually, uh, actually, kid, you need to focus on business and focus on developing a product that people are going to like, find a product that people actually want, and find something that you can actually do that people are going to want that you can convert them to buy. That was tough. Thankfully, not so difficult because inadvertently I was posting on social media the whole way through. So I would make stuff and I'd post it on Facebook, post it on Instagram. And, you know, well, people would like it. You know, I'd have whatever, 50 people might like a post. Oh, cool. You know, post it in a different Facebook group. Some more people would like it. Oh, cool. That's, that's interesting. I didn't really think too much of it. I just liked the, the rush of getting people to like my, you know, like my posts. Right. Yippee, they like my posts. I wasn't thinking about what it was doing and what it was doing. It was, it was getting people actually quite interested in what I was doing. But the people that were interested in that were, on the whole, people interested also in the craft of blacksmithing because it was so niche related, because I was posting in blacksmithing groups. And so it eventually became that I started making blacksmithing tools for people and then teaching blacksmithing classes for people when people started asking for them. And so that continued, started making and selling blacksmithing tools, you know, teaching, uh, teaching private and group classes at the workshop there for, for a little while. Um, and I was kind of thinking, okay, well, how is it that I can scale this? 
And recently then, you know, I'd started thinking more about more about what is the growth that I want in the business? What is it that I want to have in the future? You know, do I, do I want to be struggling to make an income or do I want to be thinking much bigger, thinking much bigger about how it is that in the future I can have this stable business that is going to support the family that I want to have in the future and allow me to, to allow me to be the father and the husband that I want to be in the future? Well, I'm going to need some money to do that. How can I scale this much bigger than I ever thought possible? Um, and around that time, I had discovered uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and I discovered Casey Knight. Neistat, and I'd started watching Casey Neistat's videos, uh, his daily vlogs there when he was doing it. And that would have been about the summer of 2016, as we, uh, and we're now recording this, obviously, in March of 2000, March, June of 2018. (laughs) That would have been, that's a a good little slip up there. Time flies. Um, And so I I saw, I saw Casey Neistat, he, man, he starts, uh, starts vlogging and he's doing these daily videos. I never would have imagined in my head that you could make something every day and people wouldn't get bored of it, but clearly people did. They built it into their routines. They built his, you know, his persona and what they loved about him into their daily routine or living their normal life like they watch a daily sitcom and they loved it. And he was making, you know, a hundred grand in YouTube ad revenue a month. And I think, well, gee whiz, I'd love just like a, like a tiny slice of that. That'd be nice. So I thought, okay, well, why don't I go all in? Let's go all in, start making daily YouTube videos. At the time, because just like the inadverted posting on Facebook and Instagram, which led to the marketing of my uh, courses and my tools and my online courses and stuff like that, I'd also been posting to YouTube. I had no idea how powerful of a platform it was until then, but I had been posting there. And so over the, you know, um, what would that have been? Seven years, six, seven years that I had been inadvertently posting to YouTube every once in a while, I'd, I'd, I'd accumulated about 7,000 subscribers. You know, that had started age 13, just posting me working in, the, in my workshop when it was a hobby, and then ended up, well, actually, hang on a second, I got 7,000 subscribers there. That's, that's not so bad. Yeah, so it nice wasn't starting base. from nowhere. It was starting from about 800 daily viewers. And then slowly that 800 daily viewers over the course of about 200 something episodes ended up being about 5,000 views, something like that. And then finally, I was able to put aside enough time to really double down on the content. You know, up until then, with those 200 episodes, I had been making videos about what I was doing in the workshop. And I was doing things to make money. I was teaching classes, which required to me, it required me being there teaching a class, I couldn't focus on making a video for YouTube, so I'd teach the class, film it, get home and edit it. It's not the best way to be producing content because it's not you know, really honing in on what I need to do to make the best content for YouTube. It's fulfilling my responsibility as a teacher in a private or a group class. It's also then while doing that, trying to run a camera and then in the evenings until two o'clock in the morning, then editing it together into a YouTube video while teaching myself to edit. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't good enough to really make the channel succeed. But what it did do is it started to show me actually, hang on a second, a little bit by little bit as it grew from those 800 daily viewers into those 5,000 daily viewers. And until the point where I made sure that I had a, a good little bit of time to focus harder on YouTube, make some videos that I knew would be successful, Then, when I made those videos, so I made a million layer Damascus video, I made some cool, I made a cool machete, you know, I made videos that still now are some of my top performing videos because I put aside the time to focus on just the video making and not all the other stuff as well. Then it really exploded. And so it was about March of 2017. My channel grew from 48,000 subscribers to about 180 in a month. 
180,000 subscribers from the 40, 48, 50,000 subscribers in a month. Right, it was crazy. Right. And it was then that I'm like, okay, I, I am not making anything for sale now. I am not teaching any more classes. This is scalable. You know, I was then getting a, a decent little pocket of money from YouTube for that one month where there was this explosive growth. And I see, okay, this is scalable. This is great. This is something that I can theoretically infinitely scale if I'm good enough. Have I infinitely scaled it? No, I absolutely have not. You know, I'm not, I'm not good enough to make it, uh, to make it that good. But what it did do is it freed up my time and has allowed me to really double down on just making YouTube videos. And it means that now I'm in the position that rather than really being a blacksmithing company, making products for people, I am more of a production company entertaining people and giving people entertainment and a little bit of education and a little bit of a little bit of inspiration perhaps and that's what my business is and then obviously alongside that then comes the YouTube revenue the selling of the merchandise the selling of you know things for sponsors and all of that which is exciting but the primary focus is in entertaining people and delivering value and allowing people to enjoy kind of being here in the workshop by watching an entertaining video Love it, dude. Yeah, that. Uh, so if you guys have not seen any of Alex's videos, that was just a summary. This is <laughs> Alec. That was a great like soliloquy. You're just like, boom, it just ran through it. Just like the, your, your passion. I think that's what draws so many people to your channel is, is your passion for it. And we can clearly already see it just in your intro here. But so un unpacking that a little bit, I love how you said like, that's the story of so many of our listeners. So a lot of our listeners uh, obviously, we have a strong woodworking slant here, but they start with something and then they end up in something else because of what they saw in the audience, what they saw in the customer base and, and what succeeded. But what I what I love and I want to kind of dive in a little bit deeper and, and hear how, you know, what your thoughts were along the way. It was like 200 daily episodes. I just did three years of work in nine months. And exactly. <laughs> exactly. 200 episodes. Yeah. Like, yeah, I've been doing YouTube for, you know, two and a half years. And I've only got 60. So um, when you were doing those 200 episodes, uh, you know, what was that like? Like, what was it going through? Did you did you feel good about the progression you were making? Did you feel it was slow? Like, you know, what were the things that you were doing along the way uh, to to get better and to to be able to get the time to really make that splash that you did? Uh, I, I think it's just being able to be really quite crazy with, with the commitment. And it's, it was making, it was making my habit that I just need to get a video out. I just need to get a video. It was a habit and it became, it, it got to the point where it was easier for me to work hard and get a video out than deal with the annoyance of not having got a video out. You know, and I think that's the thing. It's like we all we all fall to what is comfortable. We do have the ability to mold ourselves and develop ourselves and build ourselves into raising the bar for what is our comfort level. And so what I was I'm very grateful to have been able to do is I I made my comfort level be get a video out every day because I was determined to seek the results of doing that, which I'm very fortunate that I did. Um and so it was a case of, you know, suck it up. If I don't want to do a video, well, guess what? I'm, I'm going to feel worse about it than if I didn't, than if I did do the extra work and made the video. So it's, it's like all things, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you're feeling a little despaired about how long it's taking to get to the end goal, either you change something up or you just buckle down and keep on trucking through until you get to the end goal. And there's no other way to do it. Either you get better at it or you do more of it until you get there. Right. Absolutely. I, I love that mentality. And I think that's, you know, that that's a constant theme across as we talk to people It's just like the grit and determination and, and the hustle. I mean, that's what it that's what it obviously takes to get there. 
Uh, you know, what about the learning aspect of it? So you talked about learning video. Like, was that just because like, that's one of the other things like your cinematography and I went back and I was watching some of your earlier videos and even your earlier stuff. I mean, so was that just like you saw what Casey was doing and some of that? And obviously Casey, uh, you know, has awesome cinematography and videography and with all the B-roll and your B-roll and cinematography is, is just so on point, even way far back before you ever took off. Was that just something that came naturally or how did that work? Um, so what I do think that I have a, a certain predisposition to is an eye for an eye for things that look pretty, you know? I mean, ever since I was a kid, I've liked photos, you know, and I've liked snapping photos. And so it meant that I had a little bit of experience, you know, taking photos that I liked and thinking about composite composition and things like that, you know, and I'd filmed a few videos for YouTube anyway before then, you know, so I had a little, little taste of an idea about using a camera, you know, just a little bit, enough that it got the start. And then from there, obviously, that that's just, you know, dealing with filming the thing, editing the thing. Um, I took a great deal of inspiration from watching Casey Neistat's videos, great deal of inspiration from that. And you look at the earlier videos, you'll see the same thing. The way that I talk to the camera, the way that I communicate to the camera, it isn't necessarily my authentic self. You know, that takes time to feel, to feel natural and get into actually who it is that you want to be, because you're not sure that really you can be who you want to be type of thing, right? And so it's, you'll see great many reflections of the Casey Neistat style in those first videos. You'll see a little bit of the John Olson style. You know, you'll see all sorts of different styles that are in there because I'm trying to soak up information and see where I can apply it and learn and try th new things, try little tricks here and there to make it interesting. And then it was also the, just the pure fact that I was editing every single day. I'm there at the computer every single day with on my mind, okay, if I want YouTube to succeed, I need to be making a video that is entertaining people the whole way through. I need to make a video that is appealing to my core base of people that like blacksmithing and entertaining to somebody that didn't even know a blacksmith existed till they saw my goofy hairstyle and a thumbnail, clicked on it, but then got excited because it was entertaining and there was a little bit of humor and there was just a, you know, a little bit of goofiness and there was a little bit of, the, of, 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 of that to draw them in and hook them. It was the constant, and it is still a constant thinking of, okay, how can I, how can I better entertain? How can I make something that's going to be a little more exciting for people? How can I, you know, what is the timing? How is somebody feeling as they're watching this video? Are they going to get bored here? Are they going to get excited here? How can I play off of that and, and make it better? So it's a reflection. It's the doing it every day. It's the, it's again, just sucking it up and trying to get better because I wanted the end goal. I love, there's just so much pouring out. So I'm trying to keep up with notes over here, but <clears throat> a couple of the key things that like, I, I, I feel like are vitally important to anybody in any stage of business is one, the reflection. You have to be able to be self-aware. We talk about it all the time on this show. Look at what's going on in your life, in your surroundings. What are you doing to get better? What are you doing to make the experience better for the other people that are involved? And for you, for instance, that would be your audience. So are you entertaining them? Like you said, for a full video, Video, like something as simple as that or are you providing educational value are you doing both is that your goal a lot of us sit back and are wondering why things aren't working for us in certain aspects of business and what it typically comes down to is that they were no good from the get-go and we were not self-aware enough to look at it and go i need to make these changes or i need to improve on these parts so um it's it's super impressive to see someone as young as you are being that in that frame of mind because that's very difficult um, thing to learn. It took me coming from sports, you know, having to consistently look at myself on screen daily 
at practice and go, well, I stink at this and I'm good at this. I need to work on this and be better at this. And tomorrow I get to go out there and try again, which leads me into the next aspect of doing it every day. You know, man, can you get progressively better um, if you do something every single day, right? I mean, like you said, you did three years of work in, in nine months. Well, when you're doing a video every single day and you're making something every single day, obviously the math there is going to um, work in your favor for getting better. Um, and with that, it relates, I think, to anything that's happening. If you read, um, what is it, The War of Art, it's a book by Stephen Pressfield. It's it's a great one. Um, and and uh, what he talks about, he's as a writer, is getting better, um, is putting the work in. Like, if you want to be a better writer, write. Don't talk about being a better writer or think about it. Actually sit down and write. And once you put pen to paper, it's incredible how much better you can get or the or what will come out of you that's geared towards your goal. Um, and I think the assimilation with you, Alec, is that, you know, you wanted to become a better blacksmith and a better YouTuber. And both of those things came and exponentially grew because you were working on them every single day. Um, so, you know, getting your mindset and aligned with where you want things to go, that's tough. You know, it's tough because it had to be disheartening for a while when you thought things were great, right? And they weren't, you know, like, so how are you, how do you deal with putting, I mean, I know you're going to probably say, you just go on to the next one and do put the work in the next day. But I mean, if you have you ever had a slump where you were doing things that you thought were good or great and just saw, you know, like, wow, why was it so much better in March? Like last year in March, I was killing it. I tripled my channel and, you know, I hit this little bit of slump here. Is that, is that, has that ever happened to you? Because I think that happens to a lot of people and that can be really disheartening when you're putting the work in and you're just not seeing the result you want. I know that everything is my own fault. Like, I know that everything is my own fault. If my channel is down, if my channel is not succeeding, it's because I'm not doing something well enough for it. If people are liking what I'm doing, if people are not liking what I'm doing, it's because I'm not, I'm not serving people in the best way. You know, if I'm making less money than I wanted to be making, it's entirely down to me. It has nothing to do with algorithms. It has everything to do with what it is that I'm doing. I know, and you know, you were talking about self-reflection. I know, oh, so... Oh, so, so vividly, all of the pitfalls of my own character, of my own business, of my own actions um, in business and in character, of, of, of my own work as a craftsman. And uh, I, I think that there is a nice thing about that, which I don't ever have to question, oh, what is going wrong? You know, how, why is it that, that, that something's not working? Why is it it was better then than it is now? Why is it that I'm not where I want to be? Because it's, it's all my own fault. That's the, that's the end of the day. You know, like if I have any sort of issue with a workpiece, the great thing about craft, just like your background in sport, the great thing about that is, you know what? You can look back and see where you messed up, especially at the level that you were at, where I like I presume a big part of your training was reviewing the past game, reviewing training sessions to see how it is that you're, that you're working. I get to do the same thing with a workpiece. I'll make something, I'll put it down for a week, I'll pick it up again, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I messed this up. And there's a nice thing about craft, which is that, Really, there are no excuses. It, all it is is you messed it up. You didn't do a good enough job. All it is when I don't make a piece good enough is I messed it up and I didn't do a good enough job. All it is when my YouTube channel isn't blowing up and it's not being as good as I want it to be is I am not thinking smart enough about providing the value that it is that I want to provide. And so what do I want to do? Do I want to get to where I want to go or do I not? Either I'm happy with not getting the YouTube channel being as large as it is because I want to enjoy something else. That's a decision I make. I made a knife with hand tools the other month. 
I knew that nobody wanted to watch me make a knife with hand tools. But as a craftsman, I wanted to enjoy making a knife with hand tools. And so I spent nine days and made nine videos making a knife with hand tools, which surprisingly was not unsuccessful. People actually enjoyed it and watched. I had no idea. I figured I was just taking a sacrifice on views. It would have been better if I made something else, something more flashy, you know, to, to, that I knew would be getting views. But I decided actually, no, there's a balance that I want to have in my craft and business, um, in my life and business, which is I want to learn craft and get better at craft because I know how bad I am at that. And then there are also the times where I will make a mace in a day and the thing is not a nice piece of craftsmanship. <laughs> but you know what? It makes a video that gets the views, that gets people in, and it's a balance. And, you know, sometimes I want the result of uh, making great YouTube content and that's good. I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to suck up and know that I'm not going to get any respect from a fine craftsman for it. And then sometimes I want to make work that is respectable. And I know that I'm not going to be going and blowing up on YouTube that month if I'm spending the whole month trying to do fine craftsmanship and I'm spending three episodes of that month rubbing sandpaper back and forth. You know, it's I know that everything is my own fault and I know that every action that I have is going to have a cost no matter what. I just take the actions uh, with the costs that I'm happy with most of the time, you know, and you obviously you end up Love making it. mistakes. See, what, <laughs> what I think is fantastic about this is that it is so pertinent to any type of business, right, Brad? We talk about it on the show all the time that <clears throat> you have to sell what sells. We get that. And that's a part of life. That's a part of business. For instance, if you know your audience is going to eat up you making a mace in a day, you're going to make a mace and then you're going to put it out there and then you're going to work on the craft. We talk about it all the time, working on the craft and honing your skills and becoming better yeah. and not just staying stagnant. In football, we had a quote um, that if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. You just don't stay the same and you constantly have to be progressing forward. Um, I love that even though you are making videos where you could essentially throw things together and have no one would really have a concept of how well made it is because it's not tangible. I can't, I'm not going to touch it. Um, but you want to become better at it. I think it embodies the brand itself and is also why you have success. But it's something that any of us can do. If you want to sell, you know, if you want to sell hand tools or if you want to sell furniture, if you want to make something, you got to sell what sells. But you also have to be working on things that right. make you better for the future. It's a balance. I think there's because there's the craft of working with your hands. There's also the craft of business exactly. and the craft of building your exactly. YouTube channel. Right. So I don't it's, think it's, I don't think it's, you have to do one or the other. Uh, right. Like you said, John, I think it's, I, you make a choice. What is, what is it that you want to do? Some people are more than happy to crush it on just YouTube and they do an amazing job of capturing attention on YouTube. You know what? I can't accept the cost of that. I, I, I'm just not happy to accept the cost of that because the cost of that is I don't then get to hone the craft, which has a great value to me. You know, it's a, it's right. a great value to me to be making better pieces than I was before because, you know, I want to live a life as a good craftsman, not just as a really, really, you know, famous guy on YouTube. You know, I, I, I actually kind of want to make some cool stuff and I want to be able to keep <laughs> a little bit of, uh, you know, I want to I keep parts of my you know, character that I consider good that I might have to not have to be successful on YouTube, potentially. I want to be able to enjoy making stuff without just thinking about how to make a great video. I want to balance the two. And so I accept the cost for the reward. That's how it is, you know? Just like yeah. if I wanted to learn my craft and I just wanted to learn the craft and focus on the craft, I wouldn't be able to pursue YouTube. 
You know, I wouldn't mm -hmm. be able to make as good YouTube content. People wouldn't enjoy it as much because the way that I do it, if I was wanting to hone my craft is I would, I'd go right back to basics and I'd grind a hundred knife blades and I'd be making sure that my grinds were nice and even and pretty, and I'd be doing them all out of mild steel before I then took a slightly different knife shape and did the same thing. And then I you know, focused on learning the fine details of heat treatment and the fine details of finishing and the fine details of hand sharpening. But you know what? People would kind of like that for a little ways, and the core audience might like it, but it's not conducive to the overall direction that I want the business. And so the balance for me needs to be there, for others it doesn't. Some people are more than happy to work on the craft, they've just got to know that that's going to be expensive because it's not always just about the craft. It's also then about, you know, even if you're not being a YouTuber, obviously, you know, very few people are going to be YouTubers. It's then also about marketing and selling yourself, which is very much the balance of what you see me balancing is it's kind of the same thing, you know, as a craftsman, woodworker who's making commission pieces, there's working on your craft and then there's also running a business and there are sacrifices that have to be made for both to exist. We can't do everything at 100%. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that's a good segue, Alec, because one of the things that I noticed as well is, uh, you know, watching through some of your, your videos and seeing the progression is that you've clearly, um, you've clearly brought on a team. So, you know, can you talk to us like when, when did you get that point? So obviously doing daily videos is, you know, a, a huge burden and then trying to continue to up your game and up your craft and do all those things. Uh, you know, where do you stand now? When did you, when did you bring on uh, an editor and when did, you know, when did you bring on that help? When did, was there a tipping point where you were like, I, you know, to really succeed and to grow this even stronger, I need to offload some of this so I can concentrate on what's the next thing and all those things that you need to concentrate on a business uh, after you've already done the, the craft. Mm. So I, uh, I brought on an editor, a videographer in uh, July of last year. And when I did that, I was like, actually, well, hang on a second, I should have done this a long while ago. If I'd had appropriate amount of vision, you know, I would have, I would have expanded and done that type of stuff a long, a long time before, because then I would have been, you know, riding the wave even stronger. And that's the thing is, you know, in hindsight, it's always 2020. You always see, uh, <laughs> you always see a little clearer when you're looking from behind than when, uh, than when you're looking forwards. Um, and the decision to bring it on was, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think about where my time is most useful. Am I best in front of a camera doing my thing or am I best in front of my computer, in my kitchen, in my underwear, doing editing? No, actually, I'd be <laughs> much better served just being on front of, in the front of the camera and doing what it is that I do in the, in, uh, in the workshop itself because that's the core meat of the YouTube video. The rest of it, it is... It is, it is, it is very much, um, what would be the word, uh, the word to describe it? It is, you know, it's, it's, there is a scheme to it. There is a, there is a, there is a structure to it. There is a code to it. That's very simple. Uh, I mean, it takes time to articulate that, but you know, the editing of it, it's, it's done how I want it. And I explain how it gets done. And that's how it gets done. It, that's not something that requires the same, you know, the personality that it takes to be exactly me because nobody can be exactly me. You know, I can't just replace myself. So I've got to focus on what are the things that I can train somebody to do well. And so that's, you know, that's, that's what it is right. that I did. And, you know, so that was very useful to delegate that task and train somebody to, to produce what it was that I was doing. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's a very helpful yeah. thing. And I think that delegating tasks that, you don't need to do is super useful. And I'm looking forward to 
you know, hopefully in the future, doing an even better job of delegating even more tasks so that I can really double down on what are my core strengths and then focus less on what are my weaknesses, which is dangerous because then, you know, how, how many of those am I leaving in the blind spots to then come and, come and kick me <laughs> right. in the rear later on? But I want to make sure that I'm focusing on the strengths that are going to be kind of building something into the best thing possible. Yeah. And that, so how did that process work for you? Because, because you do have a very unique style and vision. And so was that, uh, did you go through a couple of videographers? Like, was this somebody you knew or like, because that is one thing that I, I personally struggle with a lot. And I know a lot of our listeners also struggle with is outsourcing, finding the right people and get it the, the old, if you want it done right, do it yourself. I think a lot of us live with that. It's, uh, you that know, what did that look like question. for you? It's such a great question because I, I know the same, I know the same thing too. And the thing is that anybody that's a maker, you know, we've got a little bit of that, you know, we got a little bit of that individual, individualistic thread running down us. That means that, well, you know what, we're just going to do it all. You know, if some electrical work needs to be done, you know, I'll do it. I don't want to pay somebody else to do that. You know, if something needs to be done, I'll do it. I can't trust anybody else to do it. And it was the same thing for me. And it's very difficult, you know, especially content creators, you know, when it is that you've developed your style to hand that off to somebody. It's like handing right. off your baby to another person. Um, and so I, 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 am, I am not somebody to speak about advice on, uh, on, on hiring people and being a, <laughs> being a leader because I am at the very beginning of that journey and I have so much to learn and I'm very excited for developing those skills. Uh, so I'm at the beginning of that journey and I don't have much to say apart from, you know, know that when it is that you bring people on to help, they're there to help. You know, they're there to help. You don't need to do things. And it was difficult for me to really hand everything off and, and kind of give, give more responsibility. You know, not, not everything is handed off, obviously, but it was, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a tough thing to feel comfortable in actually letting somebody know exactly how it is that you want it and getting it to how it is that you want it. You know, it's, it's a tough thing to do because, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm very unexperienced at it still. And I was very unexperienced at it when I was, uh, when I was hiring. But fortunately, you know, I've got, uh, I've got some great help. And so we were able to, you know, produce some very good work in that collaboration. So how much better do you think you got at your process when you had to evaluate that process in order to hire? Because a lot of the questions that we get around hiring, um, I constantly harp that in order to hire you have to establish a process in which you can, uh, you know, offload segments of that process to people. But until you're aware enough of what you're doing and efficient in it, you can't teach somebody else. And what I learned in hiring was a lot of efficiencies exist in my workflow. And, you know, like <laughs> I had to truly sit down and have a moment where I was like, wow, you suck, John. Like, this is not how this should be done. Um, you know, how much better do you think you got when you took that time? Because it's hard for us to take that time, right? To take the time to sit down and tell yourself what you're bad at in order to get better and then to bring somebody else on and then teach them to get better, it's not the most flattering thing. And it can be a little bit of a deterrent in order to hire, you know? Yep. Um, like I said, I am very inexperienced at this and I am not the greatest at this. So I can't say a whole lot <laughs> other than the fact that I'm, you know, I'm fortunate. Well, the one task that I have successfully delegated the editing is rather you know, it is a formulaic process that, you know, I can be very clear with, with where it is that, you know, I want a cut and where it is that I don't want a cut. And so it wasn't particularly difficult. Other things would have been a lot more difficult. I have a very, like one of my big blind spots and weaknesses is that I'm extremely unorganized, very, very unorganized and very chaotic in how it is that I do stuff anyway. Um, and so that is something that I need to work on a hell of a lot to get better at in the future. 
for sure. And I have no great advice to say on that. That is a big weakness <laughs> on my part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think a lot of us struggle with the same same thing. Uh, so as you started going through here, Alec, and and you know you are just on a tear and and going through. And I'm I'm a big analytics guy, so. And I jumped over and I was like, man, and I went back and I saw your your million layer Damascus. And that was kind of that jump off yep. for your channel and that huge spike. And then and then you're you're you kind of came down and then you're in another peak uh, coming up. And so like getting that out there, um, you know, as you as you go through your your channel and you saw, OK, I'm getting all this. You know, when did you start deciding, uh, OK, I'm, I'm going to expand because I've seen one thing that you're doing a lot of now is also the merch. So your your merch is great. It's on point. Uh, you know, is that is that something that uh, that you just thought that you saw other people doing? And you want to get your own business or those your own designs like when when you brought that into the business and started adding that on? What did that look like for you to expand your revenue streams? As, as soon as I uh, as soon as I started really hitting the YouTube channel hard. I, you know, I was getting the odd t-shirt, odd set of t-shirts printed and selling them and doing giveaway. I, at the time I was doing a live show and I do giveaways in the live show, you know, like, Hey, share this stream and we're going to be giving away five t-shirts and, and stuff like that. And so that was much and me has had existed for a while before I really started to double down on it. Um, what, what was fortunate was finding ways to be able to, again, delegate that task away. Cause you know, previously I had to, you know, order all the merch and deal with how many sizes of this am I going to buy? How many sizes of that? So an exciting thing for me was being able to, um, find ways to not have to deal with that and get it all outsourced, all done out of the house so that I, you know, out of the workshop so that it wasn't cluttering my workspace, wasn't taking my time away so that I could focus, um, on, uh, on working. And it, the pushing hard on the merch was because I realized that pushing hard worked. I saw people pushing hard and I saw that, you know, they were, they, they seemed to be doing quite well for themselves. So I thought, okay, well, let's give it a go. And it was successful. And so I'm very pleased uh, that that is the case because it's, it's now a big part of the business. The t-shirts that people buy and enjoy wearing and, and, and what have you, which is actually really kind of, it's kind of cool. But uh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking to do more exciting things in the future because I think there are better ways that I can serve people uh, than just a t-shirt, you know, that looks kind of cool. There are, there, are, there are better ways that I can provide value. Yeah, I think you've done a, an amazing job at just uh, having your brand image on point. Uh, so, and even like, I love your, uh, your. I'm sorry, if it, what is not not the maker mark? What's the, the, the same S? type of thing? Is I, I call it a touch mark, but touch mark. Yeah, the maker's go. mark is the same thing, right? But but doing, I think like that branding, you do a great job of that, and then extending that. Uh, and so that's, again, I think you you've figured out your message you know, as as a consumer of your content. I can look at this like your messaging is, is on point. And I think that's something, you know, again, that, uh, when people can hone in on that at the beginning and then double down on it. And that's, you know, on my side, I've always been a little wishy-washy on mine and still trying to figure out exactly what, you know, my logoing and my branding. Uh, so I really admire when I see somebody who's just like gotten it right out of the gates. And obviously you put a lot of time into that and then we're like, all right, here's what I, I think like. you're giving me too and much it credit. I just, I just, I just <laughs> make sure that we're only selling the t-shirts that I think, are, that I think look cool. There's not a whole lot more thought than that other than trying to make sure that they're released in a timely manner and make sure that they're going to resonate with people. Um, it, it's, I'm I'm not smart enough to think about the the, the branding aesthetic the whole way through. <laughs> right. Well, you're very. I think that's one of those things that it's obviously you're you've got an, a mind for it and an eye for it, like you talked mm -hmm. about. I think that's just something that you know you probably 
have innately in there. And it's like, oh yeah, this is cool. And being able to constantly churn those out in those new editions and those things. I mean, that's that's a skill in and of itself versus well, I mean, you know, just having like your one standard. Obviously, don't give me too much credit. You know, I've got I've got people that help me make the make the cool designs. You know, give a cool idea and they'll make something a lot cooler than I could make. So uh, <laughs> easy on the credit. You know, I've got a I've got some good graphic design help, and I'll often delegate that task to uh, to my videographer to uh, to help make that stuff. So. Yeah, Take think, it easy on the credit there. I need to fit into my workshop <laughs> door on the way out. I don't want to have to roll up the shutters. I yeah, think, yeah. I think what's amazing about the the that's this whole concept of your brand is that it is not just consistent in the merchandise itself. It's consistent across everything that you do, um, whether it's you know the inspiration or the the value of developing skill um, or the entertainment aspect. Um, my favorite piece of merchandise you've done recently was the process shirt, right? And uh, and I think that was the one correlating with the the hand tools that right yes. you were doing you were talking about earlier, um, you know in that it it seemed to be on the outside of things that you found this you know um, kind of like Zen space in creating what you were creating because it was such a different process than other things that were going on but the way you delivered it was extremely consistent and on brand um, and you do that con- with basically everything that you make and all of your stuff. Um, you know, as a, as a young guide, um, I think it probably comes naturally to you. And that's why Brad and I are, you know, hyping you up about it is because it's very rare, um, to see that type of consistency across everything that you do. It's very easy to get distracted. It's very easy to see something working for somebody else. Um, for you, you know, has that always just been, um, you know, the, the energy, I know you said you've worked on it, but has it always just been, you know, an energetic person. Uh, you're super passionate about obviously multiple things. Um, and that's something that you found, uh, embodying in your work and also inspiring others to be like, has just come natural to you or do you work on it? Cause there's a lot of people who uh, we, we work on becoming, you know, in, uh, inspiring and public speakers and stuff like that. So I, I, you know, I think that anybody, I think that a lot of people feel a little bit of a little bit of imposter syndrome, like, well, you're saying that stuff. I'm here like, what, what are you talking about? Inspiring <laughs> people. I just make stuff in my workshop. And then obviously I've got to kind of check back and, and realize that people are inspired by what I do. Um, so in terms of the energy, I've always been like a very, I, I'm, I'm very, I feel very blessed that I believe I was born with a very positive temperament. You know, I'm naturally, naturally rather positive, naturally rather effusive and energetic. And so that was a very good help because it meant that, okay, starting out, I didn't necessarily have to build that. I rather had to make sure that I wasn't too shy and I had to shave off the defenses to letting that kind of shine um, shine through in the videos. You know, you look at a lot of the early videos I made when I started vlogging and you'll see that I'm a little bit, a little bit quiet, a little bit less, you know, a little bit less effusive, a little less, a uh, little less personality out there. And it's because I'm shy. It's because I'm talking to a camera and I feel weird just like anybody. And so it took time to work on getting rid of a decent bit of, uh, of, of those defenses to being more of myself on camera. But then there is also this to it. It is, I am trying to show myself on camera, but I'm also trying to understand the context of where it is that I am. So it's not just showing myself. It is then also, like anything, trying to make sure that that fits the context. If I need to talk about something for a minute in this particular part of the video, I'm going to need to make sure that I talk about it in a little bit of a faster manner that's a little bit more curt, that gets the point across a little bit faster. So there is 
always an element of like refinement and adjustment that I need to do to make sure that I'm doing my job and my responsibility well enough as somebody who's trying to make YouTube videos that people are going to enjoy. And another tangent to that is there are a lot of days just like anybody where I get in my workshop and I'm like, hey, you know what? I actually kind of don't want to make a YouTube video today. (laughs) I kind of just want to either just make something and not have to turn on the camera or I kind of just don't want to be in the workshop. I want to go on the boat and enjoy being by the sea or go ride a bike or something. But guess what? I'm here to make a video. And so I better suck it up, smile, and do what I got to do to make sure that the video is entertaining for people. Because just like anybody, hey, people, we've all got to go to work. Even though I'm self-employed, you know, even though this is my business and I can theoretically do what I want, there are days where I have to go to work and I don't want people to ever think, you know, when they, when they, when they see, when they see anybody that there is such a thing as a job that is not work. I hear that and and it never, it, it always grinds my gears a little bit. And I've said it in the past myself, I'll never work a day in my life, you know, because I enjoy what it is that I do. And I just think that it's a, my, my view is that it's a little bit of a naive approach. It was, and I think that, hey, there are a lot of days where it is work and guess what? That's my job is to work. And sometimes it's not gonna be fun. I'm blessed that a hell of a lot of the time it is a hell of a lot of fun. But hey, sometimes it just takes buckling up and, and getting on through it. And you know, you've gotta, you've gotta force it into yourself to, to, to do your responsibility as the guy that makes videos that people enjoy every single day. Yeah, what I, I want to jump on that real quick because it's a good segue, I think, to what I just noticed. Like as you do in the the episodes in the daily, and that is you know a super grind. Uh, and and forgive me. Are, so are you doing five days a week? Or are you doing seven days a week? No, no. I was I was doing seven days a week for a while, and then it was kind of teetering on five or six, and then I finally just gave in and realized that I couldn't even do six physically because a lot of the episodes that you'll see, like I'll I'll end up taking multiple days to do them because. I just can't live with myself making okay. people watch me hand sand for a whole video. So, you know, sometimes it'll be two, two days in a video. Well, the thing is, is that with that schedule, any interruption in the day, like if I don't right. get, if I don't get nine hours of solid work, then that video is not as good as it can be. And so sometimes things are a day and a half and it messes up the schedule. So it's now at five videos a week. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's, I couldn't tell, but say that, but what I recently saw just watching your Q and a last night that you just did, uh, is that I believe what, what you had said is that, uh, you're on holiday this week or in the States we like to call vacation. Uh, or is is that, is this the first time you've taken a step back? Like, are are you actually taking a vacation to like take some time? Are you doing like business planning? Just like, you know, self care. I I filmed that about a week and a half ago before I went to Atlanta for Blade show and then hung out with Uh, a buddy in Montana. It's just that it happened to be that I posted it then. (laughs) Gotcha. I remember that now. Yeah. Cause your Instagram, I remember seeing you in the States. Yeah. And so obviously, you know, I'd filmed that as a way of keeping some sort of content going out there while it was that I was away. And previous to that, I had filmed some videos that didn't take too long to film to create a little bit of a backlog. So that week that I was away, I still uploaded three videos, even though I was out of the shop for uh, seven or eight days or something like that. But seven gotcha. or eight, you know, like full working yeah, days that I would have used. Because you've built the team, right? Because you've built the team to be able to support you who can do the editing while you're gone. I think that's the beauty of it is that, 
you know, if you look back a year, you would have probably never have thought about that. Like, I can't take a week off from the business. You know, hey, like it, it still it, felt absolutely mortifying to take a week oh, out I of the workshop. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm sure the connections you made and just being out there and, and meeting fans as well as peers, as well as, you know, people that you're fans of. I saw some of the pictures of you, like meeting people who, who you admired on your Instagram. Uh, you know, I think that's a really important part is that work-life balance. And it's it's cool to see you. So you you clearly have this huge drive and you're grinding, but as your platform has taken off and you've put the processes in place, I think that's the most important thing is getting you're giving that team me too to much credit you. again. You gotta it's, it's, uh, it's, come it's, on, Brad. <laughs> you're speaking to somebody. It is it is the something that is big on my mind as another blind spot is how much I work. And this is something that I'm working very much to 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 eventually build the business into something where I don't work as much as I do work. Work is super important to get anywhere, but I've got, I've got opportunities to still develop the business while not having to work, um, work my rear into the floor like I have done in the past. And so, Hey, big blind spot of mine is I work too much and it took a hell of a lot of, of, uh, of effort for me to feel comfortable going away for a week. And it was super <laughs> annoying in many respects. It was absolutely right. worth it. A blind spot for me is I know the gain of working super hard and spending an extra day in the shop a week, spending the full seven days in the shop a week. And I know the gain of working a full week. What I don't know is the cost of doing that for two years straight or three years straight or even just two months straight. You know, that's all it right. takes. And, and so that's a blind spot of mine is, hey, yeah, I don't realize the missed opportunity of resting and instead, I choose to take the uh, the option, which for me is become the easy option to feel comfortable by working hard. That's a blind spot that I'm working to rectify. Don't think I've got that sorted yet. I'm still working yeah. hard on it. Eventually, you'll see an Alex Steele who works five days a week and uh, is able to uh, <laughs> is able to get that stuff down pat. Um, and so. I, I can't take too much credit there. That's something that I'm working on developing in the future and doing a lot better. And, uh, and, and I think that's something that, you know, anybody that gets into my position through some good hard work, which is what it takes. You know, I've got 900,000 subscribers. It's great opportunity there that I'm not maximizing enough. If I was more effective, I would be able to feel more comfortable taking more time off to be able to rest my body because, hey, you, know, you work hard, uh, you know, you can only do it for so long, right? So yeah, that's, that's the key. I was going to say along with that, I mean, the, I did that for uh, a few years and I was trying to make, <clears throat> you know, custom work, uh, work and, um, you know, just long hours and, you know, Brad and I started our friendship and then, and he was like, man, you just like, don't stop and talk like sun up to sun down. Like that's it. Do you feel, um, with how consistent you are with your channel and the, and the amount of energy you put forth to it is burnout ever come to like, uh, into your mind? I mean, um, I see burnout in two ways. One is kind of an excuse for some people, but I truly see that it, you know, it's something that can affect, um, a lot of us. And, and Brad watched me go through it in the last uh, two months where I was trying to manage, you know, this podcast with him and then my production furniture line, uh, excuse me, business, as well as my content business. And I was just had no time for anything, any personal development. Is that something that you find yourself dealing with consistently? Um, so the last time that I really felt that I was coming on to a burnout point was just before Christmas of uh, 2017 there. And I took four days off. And up until that point, I had not taken 
four days off consecutively in like the past like two years. I mean, it was it was it was crazy. I had I had ground and ground and ground. And so I took four days off around Christmas and I did like absolutely nothing. And that was very, very valuable to me. And it made me realize, actually, hang on a second, Alec, you know, you're not, you're not superhuman here. You got to be a little bit careful with how it is that you balance stuff. Because otherwise, the next time you get a burnout like that, it might be, uh, it might not be the type of thing that, you know, you fix with four days and you're happy, 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 go lucky back in the workshop after that. Right. And so it's, Hey, it's something that I'm just trying my best to be aware of what's on the horizon. I'm trying my best to self-reflect enough to see what's on the horizon of my mind and how I feel. Um, you know, I'm trying to work hard when it is that I need to work hard, but know when it is that I need to take time off. And hey, stuff like I did last week, you know, I went to Atlanta and got inspired seeing amazing blade forges in person, bladesmiths and knife makers in person, seeing amazing work um, that half makes me want to pack in the towel and give up making stuff. I'm joking, <laughs> because it's so good. Uh, but it's also, I mean, really what it is, is inspiring me to kind of want to make stuff better. And then I took the rest of that week and I'm like hiking and mountain biking and doing all sorts of fun stuff like that. That is important. It is super important and it's very difficult, has been very difficult for me to realize, but it's something that I'm working towards in the future because, hey, you know, it's, there is a big cost to burnout and the cost of burnout for sure will always be much higher than, uh, than the lost opportunity cost of me getting used to taking weekends, which I got to work on. Yeah, right. we right. all do. So, so <laughs> speaking of that, uh, speaking of, you know, looking on the horizon, so you're you're coming up on a million subscribers. You got the the channel going. We talked just before the show about you actually have online an online course that you made even before all this started about how to blacksmith. What's what's in the future? What's you know what are the things you're most excited about? Didn't you hear a little earlier when I said I wasn't very organized? <laughs> you know, it's, it's just it's, excited it's, about tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, always excited about tomorrow. You know, I'm a big big picture thinker. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, I'll still, I'll just point the ship in that direction and, and hope that it continues. No, my hope for the futures are, my hope for the future in line with what it is that I'm talking about are to delegate more tasks and, uh, and build a team where, you know, it isn't just me being the one guy in the workshop making stuff, but it's a little more like the collaborations I do where there are other people there and that's exciting. And so the hope is to do more of that, delegate more tasks and be able to do a little bit more about what I'm a little bit more of what I am best at, which is, you know, being me on camera and energetic and stuff like that and be able to delegate a lot of the other things that take a lot of my time away and don't aren't conducive to what the core idea is, which still is for now and certainly is going to be for the for the next year or two. You know, that's, that's how far um, I think this ship is going at a minimum and, you know, hopefully much longer making the best video content possible. And so it is just trying to work out ways that I can make the best content possible by bringing on uh, people that are going to help make the best content possible and being able to create an environment that is making the best content people to content possible to help kind of entertain as many people as possible. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I mean, I think um, there's a lot of potential for someone like yourself in the um you know, public speaking space, like, uh, how like maker central that was bananas, huh? I mean, like, uh, Brad and I were bummed. We couldn't make it over there for that, but, uh, I saw you were on stage, right? You did a Q and a, I think you were firing t-shirts out there. Um, you know, that, that is definitely a path, um, for a lot of creatives, uh, you know, down the line, you see yourself ever being in that role. Hey, that's something I really want to work on a lot. Like that was the first 
talk I ever did. So, you know, I was pretty, pretty nervous about that. And uh, I did not prepare adequately, which uh, considering that I'm a craftsman who knows in his work the pitfalls of not preparing adequately, I should have expected them in any other craft, such as public speaking. <laughs> Thankfully, it went okay. Uh, but I'm, that's a skill I'm looking forward to developing in the future. And uh, a part of the business model that I have, I have no idea about, I'm completely new to how it is that that people incorporate that into their businesses. And I certainly know lots of people do very well at it. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to learning more about that and, uh, and hopefully moving in that direction a little bit more in the future as I improve on those skills, which is going to take moving in that direction in the first place, right? Yeah, I'm expecting right. a, arenas full of people watching you live forge. Uh, you know, I, I see that in the future. I think that could, <laughs> that could be <laughs> That's pretty cool sweet, idea. Huh? I need to start yeah. swinging a hammer faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that part of that, uh, Alec, as we all do, you know, it's it's really good to see, uh, again, like John said, that early in your career, you know, you have your whole career ahead of you. Even you've, you've achieved a lot in, already, but in, in your short four years, uh, but, you know, you obviously have years and years and years and decades ahead of you is is getting that diversified portfolio because a lot of the things that we see will people will go all in, you know, on YouTube and they're like, I'm just about YouTube. And, and then they're not, you know, they're not doing merch. They're not doing a website. They're not doing anything else. That's going to be either passive. Like it's likely not going to happen, but if YouTube just went away tomorrow, what are you left with? And that's what John and I really try to, to preach to the audience is especially the content creators that we have, because a lot of people are, are building commission and, you know, that's always going to be there. Uh, people are always going to need furniture. People are always going to need metalwork blacksmithing uh but having those other pieces and and exactly what you're saying is like looking out there and once you've built something to a level where you can get people to help you so that's really cool to hear yourself as well even you know you're getting that stage and trying to put it more on autopilot and that's exactly what john and i are trying to do is like okay we've we've built this thing in certain areas we're really good in other areas we need to grow a lot and we need help uh, and, and so how do we take what we've already mastered, if you will, and offload that so we can work on the stuff that we haven't mastered and get those different income streams. So it's, it's cool to see, you know, that that's the same across blacksmithing, woodworking, leatherworking, yep. you know, anything selling pizzas, like, you know, take what you're good at and, and work on that and take the back office stuff and get somebody else to, to help you with it. Do yep. what you're best at. And I loved hearing you say that as well. well. Well, for sure. Something that's always on my mind is that, you know, Hey, Every, everything that I have is theoretically finite. You know, it, it could, it could, you know, hey, YouTube demonetizes my, you know, YouTube kicks me off YouTube because I've been making dangerous weapons or whatever, you know, like, hey, right. what, am I, what am I gonna do? What, what are my plans in place? What is it that, what, what am I gonna do there? You know, and so it's, it's always on my mind about how, okay, what can I do to make sure that through my whole life, I am set? You know, what can I do to make sure for my whole life I have something that I can do that I'm going to be able to provide value to somebody with? And hey, that's why I spend a lot of time thinking about the craft of it, because there is something that is timeless, and that is making fine work. That is something that is timeless. That is, that is how people have supported themselves and made a good living for millennia. It is making good work that people really, really want. And so that's why I'm very interested in the core of what it is that I do, because hey, that'll always exist. If I make a fine piece of art, it's going to exist, hopefully, forever. If I make it good enough, it will be there forever and people will be able to enjoy it forever. And when you make timeless pieces of value, that's a special thing that has a very good worth. And that's how artists and craftsmen and, and creators have supported themselves 
historically, and it's something that I'm certainly not trying to leave to the wayside. And so we talk, we go back way back when to the beginning of the conversation there, where I'm talking about the opportunity costs of focusing on the craft versus, you know, focusing on the actual YouTube. You know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, trying to think big picture. I'm trying to think about where it is that I am in 40 years, say this YouTube thing, you know, loses its popularity in five. What is it that I can have to my name that sustains me the whole time? I think that that is the craft. I think that is the, you know, the message of craft, but almost more importantly, the actual pieces that are made. So that's kind of what's on my mind right now. And, uh, and yeah. so it's a great point for you to bring up. Love that. Love that. Well, Amy, we're coming up on the hour here. We want to be respectful of your time. But one of the things we like to ask uh, all of the folks that we interview is some piece of advice. You know, if you were going to give advice to yourself when you just started out or to people who are just starting out, whether that be just in self-employed business, blacksmithing, whatever, you know, trying to build their brand. And as a craftsperson, what what kind of advice would you have liked to known back then or like to give somebody now? I, it is it is all about providing value and every aspect of the business is providing value and that starts from the marketing. And I think this is the one of the most important things that held me back when I was starting and I think that it is the most important thing that is holding most people back is that they are not considering how exponentially um, or how exponential the rewards can be when they treat the marketing of their products with the same level of seriousness that they treat the making of their products. When you focus on providing value in the marketing, that is something that I'm super, super passionate about and absolutely love. And so for people that are wanting to make things and sell things, think about how you can provide value in all your social media posts because People are only going to look at so many things. And if you're going to be in their feed, you need to be making good stuff. So they like seeing you and you don't even get the opportunity to sell them on it unless the whole, the whole, the whole thing, the whole brand, the whole marketing hooks them in and has a value in itself. So that's something that I'm very excited about and something that I always have to reinforce in my own head to make sure that across the whole business, it is all about providing value to the customers, to my employees, uh, to the business itself, to, to YouTube, to advertisers, to all of this, all of this, all of this. It's all about providing value. At the end of the day, the better you are at providing value, the better you end up. That's that's made for profit motto. <laughs> always our, adding yes, value. We, it's incredible. Always adding value. We we love that. That's what we live by and try to stand for in our brands as well as in in the podcast. Uh, love it, man, Alec. It it has been a pleasure to talk to you, dude. Your your passion, your energy is infectious, and uh, it's been awesome watching your journey. And uh, we're super excited to continue to watch it and see where it goes. Well, thank you, Brad. Thank you, John. It's been an absolute pleasure being on, and I and I really appreciate you guys having me. Appreciate having you, brother. All right, buddy. See you later. Dude, I want to run out and just conquer the world right now. <laughs> Talking <laughs> with Alec just gets me fired up for basically everything. <laughs> yeah, that dude is a flaming ball of energy and is absurdly contagious. I am in the same boat, man. I'm over here sweating. I am super pumped after that convo. That was so fun. I hope you guys enjoyed it too. Thank you for tuning in and make sure you check out the show notes at madeforprofit.com forward slash episode 51. We'll have links to Alex's YouTube channel as well as the website where you can find his merchandise that we talked about, some of those cool shirts. Yeah, make sure you're following us along on Instagram at Made for Profit to keep up with what we're doing on a daily basis. We drop questions in there and we engage with our tribe all day long. So check it out. Absolutely. All right, John, let's head over there and knock out this after show. Let's do it.